0: Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. I hope everyone has been enjoying my long roster of guests who were involved with Gypsy at FibSpeed Opera House. which just closed yesterday after an amazing two-month run. I'm excited to continue the trend by interviewing the director of Gypsy and Chains, if you remember what I was working on around this time last summer. And my boss on both. Beyond that, my guest was born into a theater family, which I'm sure we will discuss, and started out as a child actor. In fact, she appeared as Pepper in the original Broadway production of Annie. She went on to act and perform in many off Broadway, regional, and Broadway shows, including The Heiress, one of my favorite plays, and Ah, Wilderness. She then transitioned into directing, a transition that I'm sure we will cover in great detail, and has since become a Drama Desk and Lortel nominated director. In that regard, she's directed classics, plays, musicals, dramas, comedies, one-person shows, world premieres at the best of the best regional theaters like Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Denver Center Theater, Goodspeed Opera House, of course, Hudson Valley Shakespeare Theater, Repertory Theater, of St. Louis, Hartford Stage, Pioneer Theater Company, and Dorset Theater Festival, where she was also the resident director. She was the co-artistic director of Taft, or the Actors Company Theater, and has directed many award-winning plays in New York City, specifically many at the Mint Theater Company, where I met her, where she was a finalist for the SCC Joe A. Calloway Award for Excellence in New York City Directing. In a full-circle moment, she recently directed The National tour of Annie and, of course, this production of Gypsy on which I worked. If you're wondering how does she do all this, having worked for her twice and now done research on her career for this episode, I'm wondering the same thing. So let's find out all that and more together. Without further ado, welcome Jen Thompson.
1: Wow, that was a lot. That that was very
0: well done. (laughs) That's all you, girl. That's all you. That's mostly your website. There you go. There you go. When I interviewed your friend Val, I don't know if this made the cut or if I cut it, but I got a lot from her website, but I mentioned her website and Val was like, Jen told me that I need to make major changes.
1: You didn't put that in, but it's funny because I just listened to that interview, which I thought was spectacular, by the way. So fun. And I have to learn things about Val that I didn't know, which is that takes some doing there, Katie, because we've been friends for years. But yes, I have been on Val about about updating her website and maybe you're somebody that could steer her and help her in that direction
0: i was telling her i'll connect with her i told her i was like get squarespace it's very easy then you can edit it yourself but i will say your website is very up to date and modern Making-
1: <clears throat> i just did it and it, i was used to be really good at it and diligent about it and then the pandemic kind of did me in and i just didn't i just let it grow a lot of moss so i did just update it try to it- stream
0: It looks fantastic. Uh, I love it. Everyone should go.
1: Jen. And listen, if I can do it, honestly, anybody can do it. As you just experienced, I couldn't even get my Google Chrome going to help you out. So literally, I am like the Luddite of all time. And I tell actors all the time who kind of balk at that. And I'm like, literally, I know nothing. I know nothing. And I have figured out at least how to stay up to date there.
0: No, it's good. It's good. You're better than other directors that I've worked with, honestly.
1: That's very kind, Katie. It's You'll true. It's true. You're it. okay. You can put up a story on Instagram.
0: Yeah. You're not quite at Patty Wilcox level. I <laughs>
1: <use speech laughs> Who is? Come on.
0: Uh, sh- she may be a future guest. So <laughs> I'll probably have to do Zoom with her. I don't think Patty's going to be able to figure that. that other I'm pretty idea. sure
1: you will with Zoom with Patty. Off.
0: Yes. Did Val Google Chrome? Val Google
1: Chrome did. Okay. She's got young. She's got sons. They helped her. She's
0: got sons. She's living. She was living with Laura Skye at the time. Yes. I, if, and if Steve was home right now, I would
1: have been able to do that. But my IT guy is off campus. So <laughs> I failed. Or
0: Naomi, of course. I'm sure Naomi could do it in 10 she seconds. She
1: probably <laughs> could just think it and it would happen.
0: Naomi is Jen's amazing daughter. Steve is Jen's amazing husband. I'm sure we'll talk about all of that. Sort of a theater family. Steve is an actor. But as I mentioned, you were born into a theater family. And I ask most of my guests to start out with if they can remember like a light bulb moment or an aha moment that they had when they were a kid, when they were like, theater, that's what I want to do. But I imagine for you, it might have been like more gradual because it was just always around you. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes, I did have a couple of light bulb moments. My parents were both actors. And when I was a very little kid a toddler i want to say they started their first theater company which was a theater for young audience company where they wrote original musicals and toured them all over mostly the east coast but really all over the country and they uh, initially they would rehearse in our apartment we had like i grew up on a brownstone in on fourth street between first and second avenue in the east village and we had the first two floors of this brownstone and the downstairs garden level was largely dedicated to rehearsing and costumes and, wow. and craft of theater. But it was also where we ate it was also where like our dining room was. So I would, I remember like going downstairs and like sitting on a table or a stool, like way off in the corner and watching a rehearsal. And then invariably they were all friends. So some of the actors would stay over for dinner. My mom would be like cooking in the kitchen. They'd come out and everyone would sit down at the table. And I remember being maybe like three, I want to say three or four, and just like amazed that Cinderella was eating spaghetti with us and just thinking, oh my God, I have the coolest family that they know Cinderella. There was a lot of watching, a lot of watching that. And then I went to camp when I was six. I broke my arm. I couldn't swim, which was the thing I really loved to do. So it was a miserable experience. This isn't sleepaway camp, this is day camp. And then the summer I turned seven, my mom was thinking about how to keep me busy and what were we going to do And you can't sit around. And I refused to go to camp because of the prior experience. And she said, what are you going to do all summer? You can't just sit around all summer. And I said, get, I want a job. Get me a job. And my mom, who was an actress at the time, she was like, I can't even get myself a job. I don't know how I would possibly get you a job. And I said, "By backstage, because I knew just from living in that house that was a source of employment or potential employment and just sure enough lucky enough there was an ad in the backstage that we bought that said little girl wanted which i still have i have on my desk the how cut it out and framed it
0: the good memoir um, title too for the future it's, a,
1: it's a totally if i ever get to do that i would totally name that yes you're always at least two steps ahead of me candy okay. just our relationship but anyway so i went to that call and I was younger than what they were looking for because they, I guess they really wanted a strong reader. And back in those days, you were just learning to read six or seven years old, which is how old I was. But I was a very early reader. So I was a very good reader. And I think that's actually what got me the job more than my dramatic interpretation of the role. And and that was my summer. And I did that two summers in a row. And that was just it. Like the minute that I got that job, I was like... Off to the races and very certain that was my life's work.
0: It's nice that it came organically from you. Obviously, as you said, it was all around you, but it's not like your mom was like, okay, honey, now we're going to bring you to an audition. They were very, they were, I don't want to say, they weren't against it, but they were very
1: serious about it themselves. And they didn't want me to be frivolous about it or casual about it, I'll say. And you have a memory of, learning lines with them, like being so excited that I had like a script and like lines to learn and, and all of us in the living room and everybody working on a different project or all kind of doing, maybe we were not all learning lines, but everybody was doing something akin to that work. And I remember just feeling this great sense of connection and belonging and joining that side of things. And that was, that really was driven by me. Once I did that, and once i was in then i do think my parents got a big a big not just a kick out of but was a big part of their identity that both Owen my older brother and myself were theater kids we were a theater family and that lasted for many decades that yeah. identity for them especially for all of us but for my parents especially
0: do you remember what the first show was that you oh, booked that yes lives? yes oh yes
1: it was called I was Rip Van Winkle it was an adaptation of Rip Van Winkle. I played a part that Helen Hayes had played. Oh, she actually came to the show, and I have an autograph that sells from one little meanie to another little meanie, which was my character's name. And it was for this theater company called The Little Church Around the Corner, which was an off off Broadway company, but they were doing this show up in Terrytown at Washington Irving's estate. And it was in a tent. It was beautiful. It was like an outdoor theater that they built that was right behind his house, mm-hmm. uh, right with the Hudson River as the background. And so it was super idyllic for me because not only did I get to be in the play, but I got to go to this amazing estate every day and roam, pick blackberries and like i fell in a bog. And as a little city kid, which I was, it was like a whole other world.
0: Yeah, I imagine so. Your family Ben ran and was super involved with Ivoryton. That was many years later. So
1: the first theater company was Fanfare, Fanfare Theater Ensemble, which predates River Rep, which is the company that was in residence at the Ivoryton Playhouse for just about 20 years. That came in my late teens. And that was really a response to, we were all working, fortunate to be working a lot and traveling a lot. We all did a lot of regional theater gigs. And I think my parents really saw it as a way to bring us all together every summer that we were my brother we were growing up moving out and moving on and my parents were like this is a way that will be guaranteed we'll put on all these plays and we'll all be in the plays and then we'll all gather in connecticut that was their the driving factor for them and that's exactly what happened they built this theater we all built it together i was still a teenager when it first went up but we had very little resources everybody had to do everything. Yeah, And and it was a just a great, even though I had been in the theater professionally for 10 years, I was certainly doing things I had never done before. And then I ended up running their intern program and recruiting interns from all over the country. And um, it's the first place I directed. So it was a real, very family-driven effort, obviously. But we really got to do a lot of things there, besides ACT.
0: I want to go back to getting to do Annie on Broadway. Was that just a result of pounding the pavement auditioning
1: yeah, all the time? It was. I didn't have an agent or anything then. You got, you really got those jobs by just showing up, open calls. And Annie was like the OG American Idol, or you lined up. You, I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. And we, I think it, by the end of it, I had auditioned for it 11 times. It was wow. a lot of auditions. Yeah. And you would get a number and queue up and sometimes the auditions were actually at the theater which was the alvin theater at the time it's the neil simon now and that line would stretch around the block around the when you'd be really lucky if you got a spot in front of a chock full of nuts and <laughs> you could go in and get a coffee or a hot chocolate or whatever while you were waiting and we just waited and it was it was intense it was a lot of fun but it was definitely a lot of competition
0: and that was your first Broadway show. and That was my first
1: Broadway show. Yeah. And it was the show. It was like what every, if you were a little girl in the theater, that's what she wanted. To do. That was like the sort of top of the line.
0: And you, because I've worked with you and know you, you also have story. It was also not only the show. If you were a kid, it was like the show. The show. Yeah. It was,
1: I tell people now, it was the Hamilton of its moment. People were cuckoo for that show. Annie was its own entity, but Annie and Sandy. But the orphans together as a collective, we opened a lot of doors. We got into a lot of pretty choice parties and VIP rooms. So it was...
0: How old were you? I
1: was on 10. I was 10. 10 to, I was in the show for almost two years, so 10 to 12. But we were like... And it was just a completely different time. We're at Studio 54 every weekend. Like hanging out with Diana Ross and Andy Warhol and Donna Summer <laughs> and Michael Jackson. And, and nobody even batted an eyelash. It was honestly... We used to... There was a mob run joint next door to the theater, and we would get a call over the, uh, our stage doorman would come over the loudspeaker at the end of the show sometimes and say, okay, girls, they want you over there, and we'd just go over there on a school night, whatever, do a set, get in a cab, and they would give us french fries and Shirley Temples, and was like, the bosses called, and Sinatra was there. Crazy people were there. It was just a really funny, strange kind of access that we had. And kids were not supervised in the same way. We didn't have a Wrangler. We did eight shows a week. We were feral. We were a little feral.
0: Yeah. And you describe yourself as like a city kid. You grew up in the East Village, also Broadway at that time. It wasn't like Disney fied, sanitized yet. Times Square in and of itself was
1: insane. It was like all hookers and people with literally with like needles flopping out of their arms. It was a different scene. And I think we, those of us that were a part of that time have probably romanticized it a little bit and obviously I wouldn't want it to go back to that. But it had real grit and character. And this is like New York in the 70s was no joke. A few years ago, when crime was going up post pandemic, and everybody was like, everybody's hair was on fire about how horrible crime was. And I was like, this is nothing compared to the crazy stuff we saw on the trains while I was taking myself to high school. It was rough. But it was also, it was a, as it remains, it was a great community to belong to. And we had a kind of a freedom, My, that whole generation of kids, not just Annie kids, but city kids, where we we roamed around. And I'm sure I was very lucky in escaping probably some bad stuff, potentially. But it was totally worth it. It was a great way to, a great way to be growing up in in New York.
0: Do you keep in touch with a lot of the other orphans?
1: I do. Facebook, internet, all the socials has been a great way to stay connected over the years. And just having done Annie, it brought so many of us back together again, which has been really great. Now a whole bunch of my OG gals came down to Philly. We opened in Philadelphia last October and they were there and that was incredibly meaningful to me. It's just you're, I always describe it as being especially that Broadway production original Broadway production. We're like astronauts. There's only a few of us. Lots of kids have been in Annie, but that particular experience is a small group of us. And even if we were not in the show together, we share that that moonshot experience. And we have stayed, a lot of us have stayed close.
0: I'm going a little out of order here, but I think it applies. You've worked a ton with kids as a director, especially recently. You just did... A calendar year where almost every show involved a bunch of kids. And having seen you work with kids, I think you're amazing with kids. Do you think a lot of that is because you were them and you remember what it was like and you feel this connection in that way? Or do you think it's just I treat them like professionals because they are and then we move on? It's
1: those are connected, what you just yeah. said. Yes. Yes. And yes. Part of the best parts of being a director is you, you, for me anyway, and this applies to everybody that I work with, actor-wise, I am always trying to create an atmosphere or a working environment that I would have wanted to have been in as an actor at any phase of my life. And so it feels like a great honor to be able to, every working situation is different. It has its own challenges and it's not a utopia, but I'm always trying to create an atmosphere that I would have wanted or you know, speak to actors the way that I would like to have been spoken to. And sometimes was, but often was not, especially as a kid. that is That feels like a little bit of a wrong I can write. I had a lot of great experiences as a kid. I don't wanna make it seem like they were all terrible or anything like that. But um, we were talked down to quite a bit and had things simplified. We're not asked our opinions very often. When that happened, it was really rare. And I think it's a terrible mistake if you're working with young actors because oh, all actors, there a, comes a point in rehearsal where an actor should know more than a director about the part they're playing. Yeah. So interesting sort of transfer moment.
0: Yeah.
1: The director hopefully unlikely, has prepared a long time and thought about it a lot and has a lot of feelings about it and might know a little bit more to start. But once that actor is Wearing those clothes and doing that thing and saying those words and making it theirs, they should take it from you and kids, I think kids get there quicker if you encourage them to do that and you empower them because they have they just have less baggage they have less stuff in their way, and they're really good kid actors are really good at make believe which is what oh well, that's all we're doing anyway, and they're just closer to the source, so they can really go there and I'm all often still like humbled by. Their facility and their enthusiasm. I'm so swayed by that. I love to work with actors that bring their whole hearts and just want to go find it and do it. And kids are mostly always that way.
0: Definitely. What's that thing you would always say? They always want to do it again. Always want to do it again. It's funny because
1: I mean, I did have a crazy year of kids. I've worked with kids throughout my career, but this was the year of the child that they were in almost everything I did, and sometimes solely just kids. Are mostly kids. And then I'd work with people and they'd be like, oh, they're gonna get tired, or oh, there's gonna be a retention issue. And I'm like, there will be no retention issue. They'll not only will they know all their stuff, they'll know everybody else's stuff. Yeah. They'll know everybody's lines. They're sponges. Yeah. And they'll just wanna do it again and again. And when you don't want to do it again and again, which happens, it's a you just feed off that energy. You have to show up for them that way. And there's just that enthusiasm and that they're hungry in that way and not in a career way in a they just want to marinate in it and it's really wonderful to shepherd
0: so you do Annie you have this amazing experience what was your transition like into more teenage slash adult roles as a performer
1: I started doing a lot of film and television that really came out of Annie when I was in Annie I was cast in a movie and they were very kind to me at Annie and actually gave me a leave of absence which was an unusual thing to do at the time I think so they gave me a few months off to go and make this movie. And I went down to Georgia to film Little Darlings, which had a host of very talented young actors, actresses, Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia and I met and Chrissy McNichol and Tatum O'Neill and Alexa Kennan, who has passed away now, which is so sad. Matt Dillon, Armand Asante was in that movie, lots of really great people. And I was down there for two months doing that. And then I came back and I had, by then I had any, I basically got representation. I got a manager, I got an agent and, and that sort of film and television world exploded. And I started really doing a lot of, of that and ended up on a series and ended up in LA for.
0: Yeah. Cause you went to LA
1: for a while, right? I was there for, yeah, for a lot of my like preteen and midteen years. And then I was really back in New York by the time I was graduating from high school.
0: And do you mind telling that story that you've told me about telling your mom that you might go to college? And
1: <laughs> Yes, my, it's especially fun to tell somebody like you who's got such a beautiful education. But, yeah, so when I, I was love
0: the story. So thinking fun. about,
1: yeah, I lived a lot of my life in reverse. And, and listen, my parents were incredible parents. Great, supportive, loving, stable. A really, I was very blessed. But I did have a conversation with them in my senior year of high school where everybody, of course, was thinking about where they were going to go to college and starting to apply. And it said that my parents and I was like, I think I might want to I want to go to college. To which my mom said something like, why would you want to do that? You just got a new agent. I was like, new <laughs> headshots. That's crazy. And, and then I didn't go. I think you're doing just fine. It's interesting. I don't regret any of it. I, I would choose it all. I'm very happy and blessed with the path that I've been on. I don't believe like you can change any of those things and have the same outcome of course. But uh, yeah, it was definitely an experience that I just completely missed out. And there's definitely some gaps. There are some educational gaps where I'm like, I probably would have covered that had I been paying a little more attention in high school. I was working also the whole time as a kid. The academics were definitely secondary in my priorities.
0: Well, the thing is, you were learning by doing and you were already doing. If you were going to go to conservatory, you were doing it. Like, people go to conservatory to do what you're doing. I I get it completely. But I love that story about your mom. I just think it's so theatery. You said you were, you directed for the first time at Ivoryton. I love that story about how everyone was doing everything, sewing costumes, whatever. How did professional directing come to be after you had built this amazing career as a performer for yourself?
1: The first thing I directed was at River Rep and I directed a production of The Heiress and I had just been in The Heiress, as you mentioned. So it was very influenced by having been in the show and it felt like a very good sort of first step in doing that. I had the notion that I wanted to do that. As an actor, it was very rare, unless I was doing a super physically demanding role, where I felt all used up at the end of the day. I was always the actor that had a side hustle or was working on multiple things. I just was always trying to burn the battery up. And I was also I was becoming one of those actors that would be in rehearsal and I would be sky camming out and thinking about stuff that I was pretty sure the director wasn't thinking about. Oh gosh, if She doesn't tell her to move that teacup. We're going to have to restage the whole thing because the teacup is still where, like, I was just not in it the way that I should have been. And it it seemed like an indication that I was itching to at least try that other side of things. And once I did that, almost immediately, I felt like it was such a better fit for my personality. And I would leave the end of the day and I'd be pretty wiped out. It would have used it all up in a way. So I knew right away And then the path to really doing it was longer than that. It was hard to give up acting. It was hard to make the switch just with my identity, largely. And I went to my first kind of stop once I was hanging my shingle out was to go to a lot of the regional theaters I had worked at a lot and had a really good relationship with as an actor to see if they would consider me as a director. And it almost, no, there were no takers. Everybody was like, would you like to be in this? And I'm like, actually, could I direct it? A lot of unanswered emails and silences on the phone. But I was in this theater company called the Actors Company Theater. And they were all about the sort of empowering, empowerment of the actor. And I did something at the Fringe Festival. Yeah. And down at the Connolly. And a whole bunch of people from TACT came to see that, and the artistic director, one of the artistic directors at the time, said, "We want you to direct at TACT. What do you want to do?" And that's where that kind of started. And the first show I did there was a lesser-known Tennessee Williams play called Eccentricities of a Nightingale*, which I had actually been in a couple of years before, and I thought was a beautiful play. And that was it. And it was, it was, I was so lucky. It was such a big, it was a big hit. That sort of started it going.
0: You're one of those directors. And I think it's pretty rare who, and I mentioned this in your bio, has done it all, has done classics, new plays, musicals, et cetera. Do you think that comes from having done it all as an actor or just your interest in variety?
1: Probably a little bit of both. I was really lucky as an actor that I got to do a lot of different things. And a lot of the drive for me is to not be bored. I don't repeat a lot of shows either. I think a lot of directors you will go back and yeah. do multiple productions, especially if they've had a successful production and then other people want to do it. And, right. and I never wanted to really do that. I've only done that twice because I feel, feel the itch, like the curious itch to do a different thing. I try to limit myself on the sh- jobs that I take. I'm a mom and I don't want to be gone all the time. And I Also don't want to be distracted all the time. It's one of the nice things about freelancing. You can pick and choose. Very fortunate to be able to build my year a little bit that way around my family schedule and the things I really want to do. So if if I only know I'm going to do a certain amount of shows or go out of town a certain amount of times, I don't want to do that necessarily in a repeat experience. I'm doing a Sam Shepard play in the spring and I'm so excited to do a Sam Shepard play. Never done a Sam Shepard play as an actor or a director. So that seemed, it was like, yeah, I want to do that. So, uh, yeah, go with what tickles my brain in the moment. Would you say you have a process? I'm a big researcher. I love to dive into the world. I like to do some traveling if I can, if it's if it feels appropriate to do that. When I was doing that first show, Eccentricities of a Nightingale, I went down to New Orleans and did a lot of Williams research. And then I drove up through the Delta and did a lot of... It was fascinating. That was an amazing trip when I was doing a Beth Henley play called Abundance, beautiful play, set in Wyoming in like the eighteen eighties or so. I had never been to Wyoming. I didn't know anything about what that was like. And it was such a huge part of that play, that landscape. I was like, I can't possibly help guide a design or understand what that is without going. So I got to do that. I was doing an acborne play. I got to visit him. Like I, I love to do I love to do that side of it. And really, honestly, it's just for me to have a comfort level with the material and a lot of that stuff falls away. Everybody has a different bent towards research. But for me, I like to do that kind of prep. And we prep different shows differently. A big musical requires a lot of pre-pro. And a smaller play, you can do a little bit more on your own.
0: You're also, on the subject of prep and musicals versus plays, you're one of the few directors I've ever worked with who does table work for musicals, which I think is amazing. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you love table work? Because I love table work. Just the English major in me is this is my heaven.
1: can't imagine. And I will tell you the times when I haven't really been able to do that just for time's sake, if it's a really big show and a lot lot of time cuts into that time at the table. It always bites you in the ass if you haven't done it. You think you're going to get ahead of the curve. But the truth is, actors when we know each other a little bit better and we've really talked about this stuff, but first of all, it's the way you launch as a company and especially in a musical because there can be all these sort of almost segregated groups. There's the dancing and then there's singing. There's all this, all of these mouths to feed. That beginning, talking about the play and talking about the world of the play and getting to know each other at the table also, I think is a really hugely important part of, Getting off on the right foot and making the the job of the director, ultimately, is that we're all on the same page. We're telling the story. We're all telling the same story. Everybody can have a different process and a different way to get there. And you have to honor what that is and figure out what that is. I love that part of it, too. Obviously, all artists work differently. That's part of what's so exciting about it, because everybody's bringing something else. But ultimately, the destination has to be the same We have to tell the story in the same way. And that's what the director's job is. And you have a much better shot of that when you actually know the people that you're talking to and they know each other and you create a safe space where people can share and be funny and be connected. And it's always a good sign when people start to bring food. You always know when a company is starting to make that turn into family, when they start feeding each other. And a lot of great things happen at the table and a lot of important information. The work just goes so much more smoothly.
0: Yeah, I think you have a really like family, company togetherness-oriented vision of working on a play or a musical. Do you think that all comes back to your theater family that you grew up in and working at River Rep and, like, everyone's doing everything, that kind of thing? I think it makes you, frankly, I think it makes you a much better leader of a company.
1: Thank you. Yes, absolutely comes from that. And it's a collaborative art form. We all need each other. And it's what's fun about it it's the best part of it. The things that I miss the most about being an actor are those kinds of connections, is being on stage with somebody and feeling that.
0: I was going to ask if you ever miss performing. I
1: don't miss performing per se, but I do miss, I miss things about being an actor. I miss the camaraderie of that. You can't, you can participate to a certain degree as a director, but I think that for me anyway that was a lesson i had to learn in terms of what that boundary was and maybe there's even a little more pressure if you're a woman doing that just like, yeah i think it's helpful again this is drawing from my own experience i always liked a boss when i was an actor i wanted a strong director not a mean director not a strict director not a cruel director but a strong director who knew what they were doing and knew what they wanted could say when they didn't which i think is a sign of strength And wasn't trying to be your best friend. And it's a lot like my philosophy of parenting. Naomi has a lot of friends, but she's only got one mom. And you can have empathy and compassion and connection without being a buddy. And I still struggle with that sometimes because I always want to hang out with the actors because they're the most
0: fun. Yeah, they're the cool one.
1: My people. But you do, that's a line that you have to walk And Of course, I have dozens and dozens of of incredibly close friends who are actors. And I work with those people all the time. And I think we've all figured out a really good way to to manage that.
0: You mentioned being a woman and it being slightly different. I try to be sensitive and not just asking women I interview questions that are different than men I interview because I think it should be the same. But I do think there are way more men in positions of leadership in theater. And it is different being a woman like helming the ship and leading the way and you talked about that transition being somewhat difficult when you were transitioning from being an actor to being a director do you think some of that has to do with being a woman because i definitely think some of that was
1: Yeah, yeah it's definitely better it came at a pretty good time because it was starting to that was starting to open up we have a long way to go especially in the sort of commercial sphere yeah, yeah, it, and it has to do also with style, like anything. Right, you walk into a room and people have prejudged the circumstance. That's just human nature. Whether even having been a kid actor, people know that, or whatever those things are. I don't, I don't think about it that that much. And one of the things that I'm really lucky in in my career is I don't feel like I've been pigeonholed to only direct or mostly direct things that somebody mm-hmm. has deep female, yeah. Driven or whatever, I have done a lot of that, but it's another reason why I was like, "Yeah, I'd like to do True West. That sounds like fun." Like any part of you, it it shapes how you see things, and I think you have to make a decision. Some of that has to do with being a woman, but a lot of it has to do with having been an actor of how you want to position yourself in the room and how you want to protect the process. It's it to me, it's always about that: what's going to be the best thing for the best result that I'm I'm looking for in the show, and I always want to be guided by an actor. I never pursue a friendship with an actor, even following them on social media until they have made that first sell though. So I just think it's important to 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 respect those boundaries. And if somebody is keen to cross that bridge, then I would take my cues from them, but I wouldn't necessarily do that first.
0: You mentioned being a freelancer, being able to build your year but based on all these credits that i listed in your bio the last year of your life was absolutely insane so much work what is a day in the life of jen thompson the director? <laughs> oh gosh uh, it completely depends on the day which is yeah. another
1: thing to love about this life it's not the same day ever Right now I'm in rehearsal. I'm off today. So I'm, I get to talk to you and I usually have a, a bunch of things, a bunch of projects going in different degrees of, you know, readiness. So I would be casting or designing somewhere along a long process. I'd be working different things. It's like you clear one thing it was very interesting yesterday, of course, because Gypsy was closing up in Connecticut and it was my first day of rehearsal for doubt at Aspen. And that doesn't usually happen, but it, it was a kind of a cool segue of one major experience into a a new one but as I'm I have stuff today I have notes on a new show that I have to get back that has to happen today I have casting for Annie that has to happen today I try to parcel out time two hours for this an hour for that not so great at that but that's how I try to do it and then when I'm in rehearsal that just takes over and that's my day that's a 10 to 6 day at least and then if I'm home I'm coming home and I'm making dinner or Enjoying the dinner that my husband made and trying to have some family time and do that. And then there's other times where you're really just doing research. Yeah. And we're taking it a day off. This last year was crazy. It was all the projects that got.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: They all got pushed into one calendar year. So I took on more than I normally ever would do because I just had to fulfill those obligations. And those were all things that I cared a lot about and didn't want to yeah. uh, walk away from. But it was, it was a lot.
0: Yeah, it definitely. And is. not usual
1: for me. I'm really usually pretty good about uh, limiting what that is. Just for my own brain, I need to recycle. I I leave a show and I'm ready to like take a week long nap, innervating. It's it it takes it out of you, so I have to regrow. Yeah, that my brain back.
0: You mentioned that yesterday. Gypsy was closing, and you were starting rehearsals on Doubt at Theater Aspen. When I started directing, the craziest thing for me, having been an actor, was the concept that you leave like (laughs) the show opens and you're gone yes you can maybe go back if you want to have fun but sometimes you never go back if it's like a far regional job you
1: open and you get on a plane and you're out of there you have no idea what's happening
0: crazy do you like i'm a control freak I don't want to say like you, but (laughs) you can say like me. It's such a weird feeling. I feel. Have you gotten used to that? Or is that something that you still struggle with? I've gotten a little used to it.
1: Like anything, if you do it enough times, you build a kind of a callus. It's hard. It's, I am, as I am a control freak, I'm a proud control freak, but it's all, I think it's part of what's soul-filling about the job and humbling. It's the challenge. It's like we're all letting go every day. We have to. It's harder for some of us than for others, I feel like it's part of what why it's a fit for me because it's a lesson I have to learn over and over again. And I've definitely gotten better at it, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm great at it. I think of eccentricities, which in some ways wasn't the first show I ever directed, but it was my first sort of flag in the ground in New York when I was really starting to emerge as this is what I wanted to do. And I think I saw every performance except for one of that show. I went every day. Now, I worked at that theater. I had an excuse to be there every day, but I didn't have to be there every day. <laughs> and it was something like 40 performances. I also didn't have a kid at the time. But I think about that now, and I, I'm charmed by that. I was so in love with it. I was so in love with them. And I just, I had such an interesting connection to that play also because I had played the part and the that main role, and Mary Bacon did it. Beautiful actress, Mary Bacon. Played it in New York far better than I did when I did it. But she also played opposite guy that I had played opposite my man. So it was a very interesting sort of triumvirate we had, and they were very generous. And it would have driven me crazy, I think, to have the director there every day. (laughs) Get out.
0: What's that moment that you described earlier? That at a certain point, the after. Has to take over and knows Uh, the role better than you do in some ways. That
1: definitely happened, by the way. She definitely did that. I just wanted to. I get it. I get it. To to watch her do it. So yeah. So that's that. Now it's just practically impossible to do that. But it's also it's it's bittersweet, right? The whole point of a show that you build a show to not need you build you build a ship to that sails away, and you don't want it to have leaks. You don't want them to need you, but it's painful when they don't. Still painful. And it's a very long goodbye.
0: Yes. Even crazier to be a designer, I always thought, because they're like in tech and then they're out. I think I, their attachment like... is different. Yeah. Because of that.
1: I, I think, think they it's it's a little more technical. It's I'm not saying they don't get attached to shows. Of course they do, but they're tethered to it in a different way. As because you're a director, you start a process. Sometimes it can be years in the making. You spend yeah. a lot of time and you are invested in a very particular way. And you're making that investment with the eye that you will be superfluous one day. If you do it right, yes, you do it right, they won't need you. But you always want it like when you come back for them to be happy to see you. That's a, another aim of mine. You don't want them to have that side.
0: That's the dream. That's what the do dream. you think makes a good director?
1: Preparedness, point of view, kindness, curiosity. Humility, focus, a sense of humor, uh, and a sense of justice.
0: That's so good. Let's print that out. That everyone.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I do what I just said.
0: <laughs> Sorry, you. You'll listen back. So, so, justice. Me. What's next for you? I know you're doing uh, doubt. Doubt. Yes, I have a lot of stuff, like developmental stuff, that's
1: coming to various fruition through the fall. So I oh, I go back and remount Annie. That's what's next. Is. Doubt is next. Then the year two of Annie tour. A lot, some returning cast members and a lot of new cast members. So it's a remount, but we'll be also, I think, tweaking some stuff, which will be fun to do. And then getting that sent out for year two. And then a couple of workshops in a lab and then True West later in at the start of... 24, is that the We're year? Where are
0: you doing that?
1: Arizona Theater Company. Cool. Yeah, I've never worked there before. It looks great.
0: I yeah. I love Arizona. That's exciting. I was going to ask too, you mentioned this is like a theme of our talk. You've done so much work at regional theaters. Your family has done and did so much work at regional theaters, but also New York, of course, and Off-Broadway. You mounted the Annie National Tour. There are definitely some directors and actors who like, don't go out and do it all and only want to work in New York. And I ask this because we're definitely at a moment in the industry where so many of these theaters are in trouble and failing. And I want to know, especially as a mom who has a life in New York, what's the pull of going to these other places to make theater? That's a great
1: question, Katie. That's a great question. I I think honestly, and this is true, As a mom, but was this was true before I was a mom. When you do a show out of town, that's all that's pretty much all everybody's doing. Like everybody picks up, leaves their life, and it's like the concentrate of what that is so strong. Yeah. Because people aren't juggling their lives. They aren't going home and making dinner for their families or trying to get to an audition or all the other things that happens when you're in your life in New York, which is also great. It's great to work in New York for all the obvious reasons, look lovely to sleep in your own bed and be here. But there is something really great about just being able to completely plug into the work and everybody is doing that too. And you get to just walk it out. I'm super lucky. None of it would be possible. None of my life would be possible if I wasn't married to somebody who was so skilled and so supportive and such a great partner as well as a co-parent. But has always encouraged and supported me having a career and having a choice to be able to get up and go. That being said, the two of us—he's an actor; he works all the time. We have to take turns. We have to try to balance out. I don't take every job I'm offered. I can't possibly. I couldn't. I can't do it. Sometimes it's things that I would really like to do, and they just don't fall at the right time, or it's just too close to another job. I can't be out of town two two shows in a row. I just can't. I can't do that. And I wouldn't ask my family. I would never want to do that. But we have a policy, Steve and I, between us, that if you really want to do something, we will find a way. Yeah. Both, if it's something that is really calling you and you got to go, then we will work it out. And we've been lucky so far to be able to do that.
0: That is, I was going to ask about that because in some ways, being married to someone who's also an actor could make it more difficult because he has to go places too, as you say, but in some ways also better because there's an understanding of the industry and the requirements and you can build your life, as you say.
1: Yeah. And you just have to realize the control freak side of me, this was hard in the early years, especially as a young mom where I would fret all the time. What happens if I do this show and he gets but he knows usually less in advance than I do. He's an actor, so he's auditioning for stuff and then it will, might start right away or his dates change and yeah. he's filming. And uh, I know a little bit more. So there'll be the sort of tent poles of the year of the stuff that I'm doing. And uh, some of it is luck. And also just letting go and recognizing that you know how to do it now and we'll we will cobble it together. We've had very few days where we were both gone. We've been really lucky that way. Where we've had to have a family friend stay with Naomi. I mean, it's maybe seven days in almost fourteen years.
0: That's luck, but it's also an accomplishment on your part. Yeah, it's
1: you have to be intentional with everything yeah. in your life. You have to be intentional, and I think we're lucky in that we share very similar priorities. We're family people. We're devoted to each other. We're obviously devoted to her and our extended families, and it yeah. has to be room for that.
0: Definitely. To- Do you, my last question before a little ending segment, do you have any advice for aspiring directors who might be listening?
1: It's the same kind of that I say to actors too, which is say yes, just be in the room. Yeah. Be in all the rooms you can be in, even the shitty rooms. They're going to teach you, yeah, yeah, it's very good to see what you don't like and how you don't want it to go. That's just as valuable as finding somebody or being in a situation that's, filled with green lights and positivity. So yeah, say yes, especially if you're young and you can travel and you can yeah, get in there and you can do that. If Be passionate and be in the room. And don't, I would also say, don't be afraid to be new. Everybody wants to know everything now and you tout their experience or their success. And it's okay to not know stuff. And it's okay to be a new person and keep your ears open and just to observe and dive in and ask questions and not know Um, i think you know that's the best way to approach it and you end up getting i think you end up getting more out of the experience because i think people let you in more in in a weird way or they don't notice you listening all of my stuff especially becoming a director was observing great directors jerry gutierrez dan sullivan in tech as an actor and -hmm. just getting myself closer and closer to that tech tape because it seemed like some crazy, mysterious magic was happening in that vicinity. And I just was drawn to it. And they never even knew I was there.
0: Yeah, that's a good tip. It's definitely a good tip. I want to end with my ending segment that I call the Thank You Five segment, which is five rapid fire questions off the top of your head. I don't think I did. I did one favorite. So you can always name a couple because some people don't like favorites. Okay. Uh, can you think of a funny moment that happened in your time at Annie that we wouldn't necessarily know about, either as a performer or a director?
1: Yes, there's a, quite a famous story when I was in Annie as a kid where one of the orphans, who was quite young, we were in the transition coming out of the radio hour into our big reprise, which is a big dance number. And as we were making that transition, this little girl mentioned to me in a panic that she had to pee and I was dismayed for her and said you got to hold it because we're about to do this big number and <laughs> I, I she really did have to go and I tried to get her to run off and she, the lights came up and she was deer in the headlights and then proceeded to pee and pee and pee and, pee and took a full body bathroom moment on a on the stage and it we were on a little bit of a rake it was splashy <laughs> so that yeah and we would say it after that i was an nanny for almost two years and the dog never went to the bathroom on the stage but one of the kids did
0: wow did the show stop from there because they oh no, we did
1: not stop we just kept going
0: so you were dancing crazy when feet. you think
1: about it i don't yeah no we didn't stop it just that it's wild just got s- sticky i don't know
0: that's broadway baby we just kept it going
1: But the poor little girl that had to do the cartwheel was a very unhappy.
0: Oh, gosh. It's sanitary, or what is it? Sterile. (laughs) Sterile. Yes. Do you have a dream show to direct that you haven't yet directed?
1: I would love to do All My Sons Mm. quite badly. I would do that anywhere. I would like to do West Side Story. It's probably the top two. wouldn't mind doing Sweeney somewhere.
0: You just named, like, the top... American musical slash plays of all time. So love that. Do you have any directing pet peeves?
1: It, you mean things I hate that yeah. people do when I'm directing them?
0: That's bad that or, or, or the that, of directing or that other directors do that. Oh, it's
1: interesting. I don't really, I don't know what other directors do other than yeah. when I see their shows. So yeah. I don't I have no idea. So they don't get a my Pet peeves. Phone usage in rehearsal halls, a pet peeve. It's a real attention span killer. If I could ban them, I would like everybody to, if, it's, if somebody's in the rehearsal room, I'd like there not to be phones. It's really hard to do that now. So that's it. I mean, being on time, I like people to be on time and ready to work when we start, as opposed to arriving. Sure, that. sure. Um, so that's a little bit of a, pet peeve. yeah, preparedness. Like I said, enthusiasm turns my head. So if somebody's there and wants to work and ready to go, that's my favorite kind of actor.
0: The phones thing is interesting because when you go on a break and you're working on a show, the phones come out as soon as you go on the break. And I'm as guilty of it. as But not
1: even just on a break. I think there's also something to like to your fellow actor. If an actor is if you're in a rehearsal hall and somebody is rehearsing and they look out and there's a sea of this, everybody's Yeah. That energy. And you could listen, you could go back 20 years and that would have been a newspaper. Somebody would have had a newspaper over there. I'm not suggesting that everybody is wrapped and watching, but in a perfect world, I feel like if you're going to be in the space where the work is happening, you have to give your energy to the work, or at least you can't distract it. You can't pull it. And there's something about that phone in your face. It's also created, it's really shortened our attention spans, my own included. It's my biggest concern for like my daughter's generation. It's And a lot of kids that I, or young people that I work with in their 20s, where I see that attention span is—it's re- really tough because they've never not had that. Yeah, never not been just that scrolling. So they don't even their brains don't even have any memory of a time when they were not doing that, and it makes me a little concerned.
0: It's also an easy way to close yourself off to the world, especially if you're like scared and you're new. Because
1: it's a place to hide, right? And we yeah. don't want to hide in parcel. We want to do the opposite of that. We want to yeah. expose ourselves. We want that energy to be reciprocated. And that is you put up a new number, nobody's seen it. Everybody comes into the rehearsal hall to watch. It's yeah. a big supportive moment. And it's a beautiful moment. It's everybody coming together in support and in excitement about what we're building. And there's something about that phone and people's faces or in their hands that dulls it in some way, I think. We're not as accessible to each other anymore.
0: Yeah, it's true. Is a theme with your episode and Val's episode too. I don't know if you remember, she was like, Set a timer on social media. That was her advice to aspiring actors. Do you have a favorite place to do Cedar besides New York?
1: I'm very fond of Goodspeed, as we all know. A Gypsy was my fifth show there. When I was doing River Rep for all those years at the Iverton Playhouse, we were like the Mets to their Yankees. We were like the sort of... The also- we yeah. were the also-ran, and they were the Mecca. And m- both my parents worked there. In the 80s, when I was a little kid and I spent time up there seeing shows, seeing their shows, it just has that lore. And I'll tell you, every time I come over that bridge, now we bought a house in Ivoryton, we bought my parents' old house, so we're up there quite a bit. We split our time between Brooklyn and Ivoryton, but every time I come over that bridge and see the flag up of whatever show is running, obviously, especially if it's a show that I've had anything to do with, but my heart, like, my heart just... Jumps. i love denver too denver's a great place to work denver center i love them They're they do beautiful work lots of places i always aim to to want to come back yeah great privilege to do that it's a great privilege to like be able to come in and join a team and deliver something really special to a theater i'm a big believer in regional theater obviously and i always want it to i always want it to be good
0: My last question is, do you have a director's essential? So this could be like literal, like I have to have my computer with all my research on it, or it could be metaphorical, like determination or kindness, or one of the great things you said earlier about what makes a good director.
1: An essential.
0: Again, I think it's just being prepared.
1: I think it's the confidence that comes with being prepared. It's great to have a dramaturg. We don't always get that. Sometimes you're doing it on your own. And the truth is that there's a lot of value to doing it on your own because it takes a lot more time, but yeah. you end up reading even more and it's your edit of what you think is important. But a great dramaturg is a humongous asset, of course. Yeah. Being prepared enough that you can throw it away and you're there as a, you have the confidence because you've done the work and mm-hmm. you know what you want to make. And then it makes you flexible enough, I think. Because you're secure in that idea that then you can be open to everybody else's ideas because you have to be open to other people's input. That's the whole thing. If you're coming in and you've already blocked it in your head and you've already done all that stuff and you're killing those actors' instincts, that's what they're there for. You hire people for their talent and their instinct. And hopefully they take your idea and they make it better. That's the same thing with designers also, right? They're the experts. Yeah. I can't play Mama Rose, right? That's only Judy's job.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see that, though.
1: No, you really wouldn't. Think. <laughs> I don't think
0: I could make it past some people. I think I could collapse right after that. But you were, the Annie was a full circle moment and you were a baby June when you were a yes. kid. So you're having lots of full circle. I am, and yes, and I was, had been a music man when I
1: did music man and Bye Bye Birdie when I had done Bye Bye Birdie. So yes, it's, it is really cool to revisit It's also especially not Annie because I did Annie for two years. So I know that show in a sort of a cellular way. But a lot of these shows, I only remember like the first act or the thing that I was in. But even in Annie, like people would ask me stuff about it in the beginning. And I really only knew the show from Pepper's point. I didn't know what happened in the mansion very much because I was never in the mansion. It's interesting when that's when you start to swap out those memories for the new ones, when you're creating it. It's a really cool part of my life, though. I love coming back to that stuff as an adult.
0: Fun. So fun. Jen, this has been such a good conversation. Is there anything you feel like we've left out or that you want to say or that you want to plug? People are. I'm, just really, I'm
1: really impressed and proud that's of you. And I hope that doesn't feel like patronizing in any way. I just, you're so right and you're you're unique in your interests and in your depth of knowledge and just i'm just a mad fan
0: i'm a mad fan i wanted to say this is not a question it's more a comment something i love about jen as a director that i really admire and want to have in my own life and career is the willingness and ability to do everything like the attention to detail yes but when i say jen and i were like in the good speed costumes t- getting costumes, which normally wouldn't necessarily be something we would be doing. But I think sometimes people in theater, especially people who have been on Broadway, have done a million shows, have an ego. And Jen knows that the teacup makes a difference.
1: It does make a difference. Not it's not a for
0: the audience. But it's,
1: it's cumulative. It's a million details. And you shouldn't notice really any of them because yeah. they should all be going... To the greater good. If you get them all right, nobody should be looking at anybody's shoelaces. Exactly. Shoelaces are right, and the buttons are right, and the teacup is right. All that stuff is right. It just elevates it for the actor. And if you elevate it for the actor, you elevate it for the audience. And an actor can tell when they're wearing a piece of costuming that is right, that gives them a piece of character, that gives them a certain kind of posture or feel or whatever that is. Those are essential things, props, wigs, costumes set dressing all of that stuff we're all in service of the performance because the performance is really the only thing that ultimately it's not the only thing that counts but it's the big ticket item and so we're building that the more you can do that and you whatever you got to do to get it done you got to crawl on the floor find a feather boa get on the floor and go find it yeah (laughs) we will do that
0: together (laughs) so we will do it and that's something great about theater too. I know you've worked in T V and film too, but there's still like a scrappiness to theater that I love. And that... I
1: hope that never goes away. Because you know what that is, that's skin in the game. You and I can look at some shows those we had things on chains. We had all that COVID and all that like yeah. you have like little, little these sort of little mini traumas and you forge your relationships through those crises and you see what people are made of. And we could look at stuff. Some stuff we loved that we created, some stuff Maybe not where we got close, but it didn't quite happen. But we have skin in the game. We're invested in it. And it's also what's painful about it when it doesn't work. It's personal. It feels very personal. It's very hard to put yourself in a pod where you're not touched by that. At least for me, I have not been able to figure that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jen, this has been so great. I think it's going to be a great episode. I hope my listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. I believe. Next week, we have another gypsy person. I'm just rolling through the oh, gypsy. What's it going to be? It's either going to be Patty or Edward. I, haven't, nice. uh, I All right. I it's going to work out. And uh, planning an episode about, uh, about Sheldon Harnick, the late Yes, Sheldon. of course. I know. What a life. What a life.
1: A real true gentleman of the theater.
0: Truly. He was so kind to me when I met him. And I was thinking about the timing the other day. I was like, he wrote She Loves Me. And then the next year, Fiddler on the Roof.
1: Yeah, it's a lot.
0: It's a lot. I would love to see your versions of both of those musicals. I would like to. I would do both of those shows. Let's do it. Jen. Let's, Let's do it. Shows? Next do on the docket. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please let me know if you have any thoughts or comments. As always, you know where to find me.